Welcome to episode 101 or 100 and a half, whichever way you want to look at it, of the Grip Strip podcast. The uh, everything else that we wanted to do on our historic 100th episode edition of the Grip Strip podcast, live as the uh, ARCA 200 is about to start here in a few minutes' time with uh, my favorite NASCAR driver in the booth to go and carry um, Phil Parsons and Jamie Little. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co host, Joshua Fine. What's good, brother? And doing great, Phil. Uh, having a good weekend, of course. Uh, you know, special weekend edition dispatch of our show. Uh, glad to be on, of course. We got ARCA on right now. Uh, of course, we had the duels on Thursday night, trucks Friday night, of course. Maybe we might go into it later, but you know, we got to get into everything else that we uh, meant to talk about on Wednesday. You know, we got F1 launches, uh, Mercedes launched. Uh, for uh, Ferrari launched McLaren. Uh, you know they they had launched last week, but we hadn't talked about it yet. And basically everybody now pretty much revealed their livery uh, for 2022 in F1. Of course, Michael Andretti uh, potentially or probably will be uh, launching an F1 team uh, slated for 2024, and a whole bunch of other news. Um, and we got iRacing tomorrow for me uh, at 10 a.m. Uh, great way to start the day on Sunday morning by playing iRacing and going for the Daytona 500. So we got a lot to talk about. Yep, absolutely. I mean, there's um, I'm looking at the entry fees for Formula One and that Mercedes is going to end up having to pay $4.8 million to defend uh, just over $4.8 million to go and uh, defend their uh, Constructors' Championship at the time where, as you said, with Andretti Autosport, uh, Michael Andretti, with his legendary father blowing it up on Twitter, um, has the funds or the people in place to lodge a $200 million entry fee plus the hundreds of millions of dollars that it's going to take to actually run a startup Formula One program, which would be the first um, new Formula One team since Haas um, uh, went in 2016, and we see where that's gone down to. So hopefully Michael Andretti um, and company will not be as um, terrible in this spot, but we will only find out we have two years, really, because they're not going to start until 2024. I'm assuming they'll get accepted. But who are they going to have as a manufacturer? Who are they going to have... Um, as drivers, there's plenty of drivers um, readily available, I would say, um, even with the stupidity of the super license format, who is going to sponsor it. I mean, Michael Andretti has definitely been um, uh, steadfast in getting lots of sponsors. So I guess we'll get into all of that for sure. The the launches, though, is where we're going to start. Um, I guess chronologically, we can go backwards because um, we're doing this on a Saturday. Mercedes brings back the silver um, arrows livery uh, for the first time in in many in many years since the whole you know, you know since COVID and you know some of the other atrocities and travesties that have been going on in our society have taken place. They've had um, uh, black. Uh, car base black uh, paint schemes. Um, But Lewis Hamilton is back trying to win the eighth world championship of his career to go past Michael Schumacher as the most prolific world champion in Formula One history. His new teammate will be George Russell, uh, who scored scored points for Williams last year, got a podium for Williams, would have won the, the Belgian Grand Prix if he had actually qualified on pole. Um, based on the farce that was that race. Um, 
So now a new new energy, new team, Lewis, of course, all the intrigue with how the end of the season went and how that was handled, um, how he will respond to that. He has always responded when um, championships have not went his way, um, when he's had a car to compete. And uh, I'm pretty certain that he will have a car to compete this year. Um, the W13 looks really, really good. Um, aesthetically, of course, um, along with a lot of the teams, Josh, uh, they are using a lot more, um, they're using a lot more of the barge or they're using a lot more floor there. They have, um, the, the side pods more in, they've got a more a tighter side pod. So a lot more floor. I think the only car that I've seen so far in the launches was the Aston Martin that has a wider, um, side pod. Um, but I mean, we had Ferrari, their F 75 looks amazing. Uh, that's a great looking car. <laughs> Uh, you know, we have other cars that have uh, come out, of course, with um, Formula One already. You know, the, I think the F75 might win the uh, contest so far for the best looking car, personally. I mean, I'm just glad that Mercedes is back to the silver, mostly. It looks very clean, very smooth. Um, then you talk about, um, you know, we got, you know, you got, yeah, I mean, that car looks looks like a beast. And then you have the Ferraris, you have, um, trying to go in the, you had Alfa Romeo run their car in, in, uh, in camo livery, um, which more or less they're going to have bigger side pod. I don't know how much of the floor they're going to have. It looks like they have more of a similar look to what, um, Aston Martin did. Alfa Tori launched their car. Um, we talked about McLaren. They have little, um, they have little changes to their paint scheme. Red Bull Haas is a little bit more um, tighter there. So, um, what do you, uh, what, what have you thought so far, um, Josh, in regards to all these launches? Who, who has um, impressed you with what they brought to the table? Who are you kind of looking to see what the pace will bring as we get towards the testing um, here soon enough for the Formula One for the twenty. 22 formula one season right i think for for me like the beginning of these launches right we had uh red bull launched uh, a couple of weeks ago Haas launched a couple of weeks ago and for the most part it looked like it was all just livery uh reveals right the they were just using the uh, same prototype um that f1 revealed last year when they first revealed the new regulations and now we're seeing some subtle differences now, right? You talked about Mercedes having the tighter side pods, Aston Martin going with a little bit wider side pods, right? And uh, Mercedes, you know, they had uh, looked like a wider floor on on their end. And so now we're beginning to see some some of the differences uh, in these cars, you know, between uh, what the teams are you know able to do, you know, with uh, whatever innovations uh, that they're trying to, um, you know, reveal to the public, right? And it's going to be interesting when once they test like uh how these cars are going to perform you know relative to uh the baseline and you know which which teams are going to figure things out i'm sure mercedes um they're probably going to come right out of the gate probably be uh the fastest if not one of the fastest and red bull as well because you know go back to 2021 red bull uh seemed to um, have the pace to, you know, they were able to match the pace of Mercedes and, and still be, um, faster than them. 
but now um, this year, once we get to testing, are they still going to be faster than Mercedes or Mercedes going to kind of retake that spot as the, uh, the fastest team in formula one? Um, I think, you know, paint scheme wise, livery wise, uh, I agree with you with uh, Ferrari. It kind of brings back like um, the, you know, late eighties uh, kind of feeling that they had. Cause I think, you know, those cars back then were solid red um, throughout late nineties or late eighties, early nineties um, for Ferrari. And then, you know, throughout the, you know, mid two thousands, uh, uh, 2010s, they kind of added some uh, Brown uh, and other, uh, you know, white and depending on the sponsors that they had. And now for the most part is um, the least the body is solid red. Right. I think, you know, some of the wings are uh, black or um, some shade of brown, but, you know, the way that this car looks is a very beautiful looking car. Um, I like the the numbers. Uh, they're basically solid black um, and it's a, you know, really a contrast well uh, for the paints or for the livery. So, yeah, I really like the design concept that they uh, rolled out there. Um, Mercedes, they're, you know, bringing back their classic uh livery that they had you know from two years ago uh, before covid and everything um so you know kind of going I guess kind of going back to normal i guess you can say um i actually did like their black car um it was a you know pretty solid looking car but you know going back to what they uh you know what worked for them in the past now and they're going to be able to uh show how well uh this car can drive once they start testing and then i guess like another thing is with uh, mercedes they had lewis kind of drive out the initial um you know test laps of it at silverstone just to kind of reveal the car driving on track and of course didn't reveal everything i don't think lewis was driving completely up to pace or anything like that just kind of you know getting a feel for it and um sort of driving it um at you know some you know not total you know 100 pace because of course you don't want to reveal everything right if you go at 100 um in a reveal video um, you want to save that for testing probably, but still, um, driving it on track, kind of getting that initial shakedown of the car, um, it should be, you know, something to get people hyped up as we get ready for the season. So, you know, a lot of, uh, reveals that we've had so far. Um, but I, I, you know, continue to, uh, see, you know, what these cars are going to look like when we get to testing, um, in a few weeks at, uh, Barcelona. So, uh, hopefully, you know, the teams like they have good, good pace and we see a lot of, uh, competition just in the testing alone. And that's the hope that they're looking for is to get the field closer again after what has basically become a Mercedes and Red Bull, uh, battle. It was strictly Mercedes, I think. And then, you know, Red Bull has come along with, um, fish lips. Um, now, they're looking to add the McLarens or trying to get Ferrari back into the fold. And then you look at the midfield uh, teams of Alpha Tori, um, Williams, and, you know, now I'm blanking. Um, looking at, um, you know, yeah, Alpha Tori, Williams, Aston Martin uh, up there. And and then you, you've got other teams that still haven't launched, of course, for Formula One this year. But will all ten teams that are there? Um, you're you're trying to consolidate, um, get the field closer together in qualifying. Trying to get the field like I was having a conversation with my, one of my coworkers and um, trying to get it so that the field of racing is a little bit more competitive um, to make it more competitive across the board. 
I mean, in the end, there are going to be the haves and have-nots. There's going to be teams that are just going to be better. And when you consider how much money is being spent in Formula One, it's very hard to really um, make it much closer, um, you know, over time. Like, there's opportunity, of course, to make it closer, but you don't know. Um, you know, Alfa Romeo hasn't um, shown their cars yet. Um, Alpine, who's going to have a new sponsor with BWT, will have pink in their livery hasn't shown their cars yet. Um, Alfa Romeo will be the last one to show their actual car um, with the new uh, driver lineup of Guan Yu Zhou and Valtteri Bottas. Um, Alpine, of course, returns their drivers. And yeah, every other team has shown their cars so far. Um, the Haas was first, and then uh, Red Bull, McLaren, Aston Martin, Alfa Tori, and then uh, I think Williams, Ferrari, and Mercedes came along there. So, yeah, two teams left to debut their cars. We'll see what testing brings. It's coming here shortly and how that will um, how that will affect things in regards to the um, championship table and what, you know, and and I think one thing that would affect the championship table over time is adding greater, more teams or adding competitive teams to this uh, field. And uh, that was a big piece of news that came out today through the legend, one of the greatest drivers of all time, Mario Andretti, basically saying that his son, Mar Michael Andretti and his Andretti, I mean, he's got 18,000 different entities, Michael Andretti. Um, I would have never thought that when he basically left the kart series in 2003 to go and become a car owner um, that nearly 20 years later he'd be a mogul um, but he is um, he's one of the biggest moguls in motorsports um, think it helps that he knows guys like Zach Brown it helps like he knows Ryan Walkinshaw and etc cetera, etc cetera, the greens and all that over time um, I think that has really made a big part and big difference in why now um, he was about to buy the Alfa Romeo team probably it was a mistake on the part on the other end um, to not release the kind of to have the control or give the control up when you're a team that's in the back. I mean, basically they were next to last in the world championship last year, and that's where they've gone down to um, a decade ago. They were competing for podiums with Sergio Perez. And now, you know, they're in the back and they're just making up the numbers. If they'd given up that control. I think it would have been a better thing for the Sauber outfit but we will see where that goes um considering the cost basis to join formula one now it's nowhere near where it was when those three new teams came in even when haas came in they had to pay a fee but it was nowhere near you know 200 million dollars just to lodge an entry let alone what amounts to probably five six seven eight a billion dollars to try to be competitive against 10 teams that are going to have two years of data and maybe even more when you consider, you know, the engine package and all that stuff relative towards 2026 when they have the next regulations change. Um, it seems like a real um, and, and you made a good point, Josh, about it. It's like um, that $200 million, just as an example, it's like you could spend $200 million in IndyCar and destroy. Um, I mean, yes, it's a it's a spec series. Yes, there are certain things that you can't really adjust. But there's the aspect of, you know, 
development in certain areas which are open you know putting more inf infrastructure in place going and giving your drivers more maybe more reps in other cars maybe starting a sports car program getting a manufacturer since michael is connected to so many manufacturers do a sports car program that's what i mentioned and i think is i mean in the end michael andre is going to do whatever he wants to do and he's one of my you know favorite drivers his personality and what he was as a driver and in a lot of ways may be questioned but his driving ability is in question um but i can you also have to say like the way he's been as an owner he's been steadfast and now he's gone about business and it's one and he wins basically wherever he goes um so in this sense you know this announcement is something that's gonna kind of exist with the whole i think one piece of it is the american like this more the american uh, company that runs formula one drive to survive the new season coming out um this uh, in a few weeks time two american races with the possibility of a third there's a lot of juice in the united states there's a lot of bad that's going on here in a lot of different areas but for formula one there's a lot of growth and it's probably time for a legitimate american outfit to come to formula one and compete for the first time you know i mean i can't really think of you know a, a big time i mean uh carl haas ran in formula one with uh, alan the uh, world champion alan jones but that wasn't really um a full-on like real competitive program on a weekly basis um you know penske ran on and off with john watson and other people um with the late mark donahue but there really hasn't been an american outfit in formula one that's competed against the you know the mclarens the ferraris the mercedes the the red bulls whatever how wherever you want to go um over time and i think maybe michael andretti is that guy um what are your thoughts on that i mean we're two years away from what they're going to do there's so much that has to develop who's going to run the team the whole bit but i think there's a lot that can come from this that could be really good overall for formula one even with the insane amount of cost that it's going to take to get this thing off the ground yeah i mean it's a insane insane amount of cost just to even get an entry fee to uh, be in the series and Michael went ahead and basically uh, if you go on racer they said Michael's ready to pay the entire fee and you know and that's you know 200 million dollars I mean it's a lot of money in cash uh, to be able to just to do that up front and my, my bigger point with like that amount of money like we talked about it, uh, before recording um, you know for for his team you know you could invest right into a sports car team or more research and development uh, into your own team but I was also thinking of the greater IndyCar series as a whole right even though we you know Penske's invested into the series he's got um, his conglomerates uh, you know running the company now running IndyCar now I mean still for uh, for Michael Andretti, you know, could contribute that to the series and help, you know, market the series, help, um, you know, grow and develop like all of the other teams and, you know, make that series stronger here in America. But at the same time, you know, you have to be able to, uh, race in formula one. It's the pinnacle of motorsports. Um, and we see the growth, um, that it's taking here in America. Like you said, we may potentially have up to three races here in the States. Uh, we have American companies now investing into the, uh, the series we you know have american sponsors now oracle as an example um there's a, another report today that uh 
I guess some crypto sponsorship uh, with uh, Red Bull is taking place. I mean, Red Bull's got Walmart as a, a partner for crying out loud. So that tells you how much American companies are trying to invest into uh, F1. And of course, you know, we've talked about Drive to Survive. Um, a lot of people are watching that series. Season four is coming out in a few weeks. I've got to catch up on the whole series. I'm still on season one. Um, I don't really watch a whole lot of TV right now. Uh, so I'm still trying to catch up. But you know, for the uh, the series itself, just competing in this, I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to take a lot for an American team to compete and go up against uh, Red Bull, go up against Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren. Um, eventually, that has to be the goal. And I thought, you know, a couple of years ago when Haas came in, that we might see that. I mean, when they debuted their first couple of races, they did score points. Remember, they came out right out of the gate, and Romain Grosjean got a sixth place finish uh, in Australia in 2016 and thought that was pretty good but then ultimately you know they've lost pace uh since like 2018 and they've become ir irrelevant and i mean we'll see what they do this year but you know they last year they were the slowest team in the field um, by a country mile so we'll see what they're able to do but um for uh for andretti you know they're gonna have to um figure out like where are they going to base their team in um because you know for haas right there um, some operations based in North Carolina next door to Stuart Haas Racing, but for the most part, um, it's being based out of uh, England or wherever it is, um, kind of in yeah. partnership with Ferrari. Yeah, so we'll figure out, like, I guess we'll have to see, like, where are they going to do all that setup and everything for, um, you know, where they base their team. And then, of course, um, American driver in the field, right? It's most likely going to be Colton Herta, still pretty young right now, but. Uh, in a few years, he'll be still in the prime of his career, and that'll be a, a good time probably to jump into a, a Formula One car and see what he can do against, I mean, we'll see if Lewis is still there, but, you know, against the likes of Verstappen, George Russell, um, Ricardo, if he's still there, you know, a lot of the young talent that's coming into the series now, Yuki Sonoda, Pierre Gasly, uh, amongst those guys who will be uh, in the series long term, uh, hopefully. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, Mario said to Chris Medlin, they had a very detailed um interview there on racer and it looks like it'll be a similar layout to what um Haas is doing they'll have a part of their team at their Indianapolis headquarters but they will base the main base of their team will be in England where most of the Formula One teams are set out of I mean for the exception of what is it Ferrari Sauber um I think those are the only two teams right now that are out of um, that are not in England. Um, so in that sense, there's nothing really crazy about that. Um, the development and what it looks like, what the, the, the game plan and the way they're going about this, just based on what Mario has already put out there. Um, this is the biggest scale effort that anybody has done to try to get into Formula One since probably, I don't know, I'm trying to think probably BAR. Um, and that was 20 something years ago. And Craig Pollock just brought a British American tobacco, got Jacques Villeneuve, um, and Ricardo Zanta, who was a young guy, um, to go and run that team. But then they didn't really have the best. They were hoping to get better connections with like engines. And I don't think they ever, they got the Honda program. That was when their team took off. Um, once they got Honda factory support. Um, that was when they got Jensen Button, Takuma Sato, and that's when their team kind of took off there. Um, but before that, they were kind of a mid-pack team. They didn't have the best pace. They had a lot of money, but they didn't have a great car. Michael 
Andretti tries to get the best people and he in IndyCar, most of them don't leave. They stay. Um, you look at all of his un- other entities that he's involved in. He's involved in V8 supercars with Zach Brown and Ryan Walkinshaw. He's involved in Extreme E now. He's involved, been involved in Formula E since the beginning. First with BMW, now they're a um, independent outfit, and they have um, <clears throat> uh, they have an American driver there. Um, I'm forgetting off the top of my head um, the driver because I'm just blanking right now. But you know they have, and he was one of their, and that was one men, one thing they mentioned in regards to my or Mario mentioned in regards to developing American talent um, and having um, people out there um, to go and compete. It's also going and having drivers that can do the job no matter what the series is. And, you know, like you look at <clears throat> like Colton Herta, he led testing for IndyCar um, a few days ago. You know, you look at um, Formula E and um, Oliver Askew. There you go. I finally got it. I didn't see it. I just figured it out. Oliver Askew goes and goes over to Formula E. So he's the first American driver, I think, that's been in Formula E. Um, there's been Indian drivers, been uh, Chinese, Korean, there's been other um, drivers, but no Americans. So Oliver Askew going over there to kind of give himself uh, a place, get some world experience, going against some Formula One, some drivers who didn't make in Formula One or were in Formula One, some sports car drivers alike. Um, but it's something that is going to be an intriguing story. And I think Drive to Survive is probably going to jump on that. Um, and utilize that as like a backstory too to build up over the next couple of years. And I think Andretti is going to utilize and leverage that to go and get more sponsors. And it'll also look at the take into account people who might end up joining that program and how what kind of poaching might take place uh, amongst the top tier talent that exists in in um, Formula One. Um, who will decide that they want to go with Michael Andretti and his partners for a startup uh, organization. Um, that that will be something that will be interesting to see for sure. Um, we talked about Drive to Survive, of course. I mean, I've, I've watched episodes here and there. I don't watch regular TV or streaming services like I um, like others do. Um, I'm more into watching documentary type stuff if I am going to go and sit down and spend some time to watch anything. And that's what Drive to Survive is in a sense. But the commitment is to go and catch up on that many seasons. I'm not really trying to do that. I watched it live and in person. Um, and I am a Formula One fan. Um, we're both Formula One fans. I think we kind of have a general gist. Yeah, we don't really need to go and listen to Gunther Steiner cursing because I think Gunther Steiner curses every day. And the fact that he has to work with Egghead and his dad um, to make the team run in the back is probably not the happiest moment of his life either. Um, you know, Red Bull, of course, doesn't want to commit or put a full commitment into it. Uh, Fish Lips doesn't want to be part of it. Um, so you're not going to get a real story of what the 2021 season was. You're only going to get like a biased aspect of it on that end. Um, you'll get more views of it from the Mercedes side of things. Um, the announcement of Michael Massey's um, sacking as F1 race director um, was, you know, I, I think everybody and their mother knew that was going to happen. Um, Formula One was trying to basically hedge and figure out who they were going to have, alternate what they were going to figure out, how they are going to call races. Because the way races were called by the end of last year, it became a WWE circus. 
um, and you you're talking about uh, the one of the most um, the prestigious forms of motorsports that exist, and it became basically a lottery. It's like, what the fuck are we talking about here? Um, you know, like, why are we um, doing this? Oh, oh wow, look at that! They're doing a they're they're doing a little special on Fox Nation about Spire Motorsports to make it seem like they're some big underdog. Like they're not an underdog. They just suck. Um, I don't really know why the hell that is a thing to. Yeah. But it's like it's funny how many people went and made comments about that car, and people really like Landing Castle. But then the next comment is, "I wish that car hits the wall." I mean, it's really bad when when that's the general reaction you get. But you know, I kind of uh, agree. I don't really it's care. Sad. It's it really doesn't it doesn't phase me. It doesn't phase me that much because at the end of the day, they're dog slow, and they're going to end up just sitting in the back and they'll be there at the end of the day or something really. But that's, that's kind of what they're there for. They're not going to win. Yeah. Um, they'll make it, I'm... they'll over dramatize it to make it seem like it's some yeah. epic, epic thing, but it's like, it's not really because they suck. No. Yeah. I mean, not really much. I mean, now I just seeing the, I just saw the commercial now. So I'm you know, a little bit behind, of course, streaming it and everything. But um, I mean, the, it's the same thing with drive through survive. Really. We've seen, parts of drive to survive uh be over dramatized right and there have even been some audio clips from drive to survive that like they were actually reenactments of the actual live audio that happened during races um to make it you know more dramatic than it, it actually, actually was. was yeah and sometimes with the the rivalries and stuff they've really put an emphasis on the rivalries and really it's just like you know, we got in a dust up on the track or whatever, you cut me off, something like that. But then off the track, we're buddies kind of thing. Yeah. And then they, they don't really focus on that part of the relationship uh, with that. Um, I mean, for me, like, it's the same kind of deal with me. Like, I watched it live, right? I follow it. So it's like, why would I watch something that I already know happened, right? And I'm not really, I feel like maybe I'm not really gaining any new insight, right? Because we have... I mean, we have uh, Hard Knocks in the NFL, right, on HBO, and people tune into that, right? And I've, I mean, I don't watch because I don't have HBO, but I mean, I did watch one episode when the Colts' final regular season game against Jacksonville, and there's a lot of insight into that. Um, but I feel like with the F1, I feel like I'm not gaining anything new that I already don't know for some reason. And that's maybe why I haven't, like, watched it as a series, and, like, because, you know, people tend to binge watch series, like, and try to finish it. Uh, you know, as fast as they can or whatever. But, you know, for me, for this, um, I just watch it here and there. Um, actually, I think I'm on season two now uh, of it. So now that's in, what, 2018 or 2019. So that, you know, that part of it, of course, um, you know, I watch, I'm more into like, for me, like, I don't really watch docuseries that much. I mean, for me, it's more of just like uh, docuseries or not docuseries, but like, you know, just regular series uh, or comedy series like, you know, Ted Lasso, Breaking Bad, that sort of thing. That's what I'm into for TV shows. But right now, not really any shows that I'm interested in that are on right now. So maybe I should try to catch up on Drive to Survive before uh, the season starts and pass the time off there and certainly get hyped up for it. I'm really more interested in what other people think of Drive to Survive and if that spurs their interest to actually, you know, pay attention to the series live every race and become, you know, legitimate fans of the series and have an interest in it. That's more of, I guess, like what I hope to get from with uh, Drive to Survive for me at least. Yeah, and that's that's I think where it comes from. I think we're 
working towards trying to build more fans instead of the lay fans of people that are only going to watch for the over dramatization parts are they actually going to watch all the time and there seems to be that growth and there's analytics and the whole bit um that are speaking to that the way that formula one is seemingly kind of um programming and doing what they have to do um i'll give josh a heads up eric Cottle just wrecked off of four three and four for the yeah, first just caution. saw it so um, that'll be the first caution of the ARCA 200. It got through 20 laps, which is pretty good. Um, there was a seven or eight car. I think there was a seven car lead pack uh, there. And then um, there was a small pack of three cars, which was, I believe, Drew Dollar and the two Max Siegel cars of um, Roger Carruth and um, Nick Sanchez, who were just at the edge of the top 10. And Tony Brenninger had issues and fell back to the second pack. Yeah, um, she got loose getting a bump draft into turn three and yeah. had to save the car going up into the banking yeah. uh, there. Um, you know, I have one thing that I would like to know for these cars, right? Single car speeds, like qualifying speeds, which would be faster, the next gen car in cup or the ARCA car? Yeah. I think right the problem with them is they have this stupid uh, group qualifying where they all run together in a pack or whatever um, instead of just running single car qualifying. Uh, but I think the Xfinity car is going to be faster than all of them. Uh, I and so because uh, they'll have single car qualifying, the trucks are basically the same speeds as the Cup car. Um, yeah. But then they have a big greenhouse, so I mean, what do you and and they have a huge ass spoiler on there, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm more or less like talking about just like um, on super speedways. I know there might there might be some differences overall at the other tracks, and I think Xfinity will be faster overall. But you know, just Daytona, like with these you know new cars and ARCA cars, you know, which if you were to put them side by side in a one lap race or two lap race, like who would win? I feel like the ARCA car might actually beat out the Cup car, which says a lot. Yeah, which is probably a problem, but, you know, that's kind of why NASCAR is burying the ARCA series. So, you know, they don't want anybody to know that their their great new invention, the next-gen car, is um, dog slow on one lap or that it it's basically a kind of a joke um, when it comes to um, how they go about business and um, certain, I guess, uh, trim settings. But, oh, well. The, the, their PR is so great, you know, they'll get out there and tell you how great um, um, how things are. Uh, trying to get into some of the other roundup aspects, talk about the schedule. Um, the Alpine launch will be on Monday. Uh, the first test will take place um, just after, I'm trying to bring up the calendar, will be after our episode 102, which will also be the IndyCar series preview uh, for us um, we'll also talk about rally sweden in a little bit there um, at nascar cup and xfinity will be at fontana for the first time in in two years um, on the full full track um, we don't know what they'll come of that after that race um, the following week will be vegas and moto gp and all three major moto moto gp moto 2 moto 3 at losail and then uh, the following week of Phoenix, uh, so NASCAR, and then there will be the uh, WEC and WEC and 12 hours of Sebring coming up, which will also be around the same time. Uh, IndyCar will be running at Texas. 
Cup will be at Atlanta. The Indonesian Grand Prix will be taking place from MotoGP. And then Bahrain will be running Formula F, yeah, Formula One, Formula Two. So that'll be the first real busy weekend um, coming up here in a month's time. So that, that'll be cool. Um, Extreme E, uh, Desert, Expri, the Lewis Hamilton uh, X44 effort with uh, Sebastian Loeb and Christina Gutierrez. Um, starting with the single car sprints, yeah, as long as I'm expecting fractured ankle. Oh boy, that's brutal. Yeah, I follow her on Instagram. Um, so that sucks for them. Uh, it doesn't give the doesn't give the results or anything like that. Early runners arrival by arch rivals RXR. So that's the defending champions Rosberg. Um, Veloch looked on course, and then she had her crash. And four cars heat one. Loeb made the best start. And uh, the signs team over the apt Nasri. Yeah, you just spelled his name wrong. Nasr Alatiyah. Yeah, so the Ganassi team with Sarah Price and Kyle LaDuke had a little bit of a struggle. Um, Andretti Autosport did all right there. Or Andrew United um, over McLaren. Andretti took victory. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so, well, they, they don't really cover extreme as well as we probably need there there but it looks like it'll be a um similar to what uh the uh, last year was which was a battle between hamilton and rossberg which lots of people want to see um and for the 13 people that are fans of um, nico rossberg um they were very happy um about what happened last year um but i think when you have Sebastian Loeb, you have to figure that it, uh, the law of averages, maybe the law of averages finally qu- stops in his favor when he jumps into an extreme E car. But um, he jumped in a world rally car, gets one or two tests, and then wins rally Monte Carlo for number 80 after fin- all, finishing second in the Dakar rally. Um, at some point, that luck will change for X44, I think. But the, it looks pretty competitive. The American efforts have a little bit harder time especially Ganassi's team and also lesser extent Andretti's team because they won one race last year. Um, but I think all these Formula One connected outfits, there's the one with Lewis, one with Matt, uh, with Nico, and then, of course, Jensen Button's team are like the three best teams. And the teams that actually have rally um, rally connected drivers and whatever, like big time rally drivers, legendary rally drivers, um, like Carlos Sainz, uh, his team hasn't didn't do as well last year and uh, stuff like that. But I guess we will see. It's a new year for sure. Uh, there's been other, you know, news and stuff in regards to WEC. They'll be coming along, uh, running at Sebring here in a few weeks' time, as I mentioned. Um, you know, MotoGP is coming up here. Um, trying to go through some of his other stuff, impress his W. Uh, yeah, Valentino Rossi in his new uh, role as um, team owner for motorcycles or MotoGP and Moto2 and all that. And then he'll also be running an Audi in the GT World Challenge Europe Endurance. Uh, so that'll be um, that'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, Coda signs up for another five years. So that shows that there is full, that there is health there and at Circuit of the Americas, so they'll be they will um, have Formula One. They'll have NASCAR, no IndyCar, and it, I don't know about sports cars either. But they'll have um, those two series. Um, yes, rules tweak to streamline F1 safety car restart process. Let's hope so. I'm after the farce, totally farcical end of the season there last year. 
Um, yeah, the looks like the Fords are fast at Daytona there, Josh. Um, Shaq Villeneuve is going to need to change an engine, so he's going to be starting in the back anyway. But, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's something where before we move forward into some of the stuff that, uh, you're doing um, before we get into the Super Bowl because now it's been over a week's time since um, that took place. But um, you know, there's there these these Cup cars. They've had a bunch of practices. The Fords have been up there, uh, and uh, it looks like it's going to be in. I mean, what is it? Denny Hamlin's already came out and said it might be a strung out um, a, a deal there. Uh, what what how that whole thing will go. Um, but I think it is kind of what we talked about during the last episode where, um, it could go one of two ways. It could be a yard sale or it could be, a, a very, um, processional race. And, um, and that, that'll end up, you know, being more like 2013, but do we really know what, how, what that'll lead to or not? I don't know. So, um, I guess, let me bring up the results so far. Yeah. The final practice, Burton, Logano, Sindrick. I mean, Briscoe, they only had 19 cars on track in the um, last practice. You have, so there, there was teams limiting the amount of exposure they were having there um, for the, for the, for the possibility of accidents. Um, they're having issues lining up the field here. Uh, it looks like, well, that's not shocking. Um, third practice in most, let's see, third practice speed, let's see, 35 cars took to the track or 34 cars took to the track in the, the, the practice three on Friday. Uh, so the, the, you can see that teams are taking more of a um, conservative approach towards um, these practices to make sure they have a piece for the Daytona 500. Oh, there's Ty Gibbs. There's um, there's um, nepotism ace right there. Um, <laughs> nepotism. <laughs> fucking fucking dweeb. Um, yeah, we'll go through the starting lineup here for the Daytona 500. Uh, Kyle Larson and Alex Bowman on the front row, 181.159. The pull speed, 49.68 seconds for Kyle Larson. Bowman, I think five years in a row on the front row. The uh, Roush, Fenway, Keselowski team. I'm not Roush, Keselowski, Fenway, as um, dumbass Regan Smith called it. Um, duo will be on the second row, though there seems to be issues with the wheels, some wheels that both that team and the Penske team have. That seems convenient. I'd be looking at the Hendrick ones, but um, Brad Keselowski in his chase to finally win the Daytona 500, driving the six car and Chris Busher in the 17 car, the winners of the duels. Sindrick and defending uh, race winner Michael McDowell in row three, Ryan Blaney and Harrison Burton row four, Chase Briscoe and Kyle Busch round out the top 10, uh, 11 through 20, Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, Eric Jones, Martin Truex, Tyler Reddick, Bubba Wallace, Kurt Busch, O. Richard, uh, Ross Chastain, and Joey Logano. And that's the top half, but Joey Logano is going to a backup car, so he's going to the back um, after his wreck in the duels. The um, then Daniel Suarez, Kevin Harvick, William Byron Jr. I don't know why that he's doing that. It's not the NFL. I'm Corey LaJoy, Justin Haley, Ty Dillon, Landing Castle, Greg Biffold, the uh, first of the non-chartered cars to get into the field for NY Racing. Todd Gillen, Denny Hamlin, the three-time winner of the Daytona 500, will start 30th. Uh, he spun on pit road, um, so we'll see how 
long it takes him to get up there. Some cold custard, Cody Ware, Daniel Hemrick, who who had a really fast speed in qualifying, but the car wasn't really as good or had issues in the in the um, duels. Oh man, Dale Quarterly. God dang, he's in this race. I forgot about that. Um, and the Arca race. Uh, David Reagan, um, whose only ability is in a super speedway race and otherwise is just a waste. Kaz Grala for um, Mayweather gets the 50 car into the race. Austin Dillon, a former winner of this race, um, will be ahead of the guy he wrecked to win the 2018 Daytona 500. Um, Eric Almarillo, who had the fastest Ford in qualifying, but um, had his issues in the duels. Uh, BJ McLeod will be there. And then the two cars that um, qualified on Wednesday night through the qualifying session, Noah Gagson and Shaq Villeneuve, uh, will round out the field, the two a car long MB MDM cars missed the field um, for the Daytona 500. So um, yeah, I mean, any thoughts on some of the recent news that's come out in regards to? Um, so I guess with the issues with the wheels and then the practice, it looks like Fords are fast, but maybe Toyota and I figure Chevy are both kind of holding back a little bit here. Um, Fords have been fast across the board, but in the end, when it came down to it. The Hendrick cars all showed up and did what they usually do. And then um, to a lesser extent, I think in the in the um, in the dual races, you could see the team play really making a big playing a big part in what we might see in this 500, which is probably not a good thing. Uh, But, you know, we'll see what it is. I think there's also the play about having to keep these cars in one piece. So how much will that make an effect? uh the the race that we see tomorrow of course with the weather you know we'll see what the weather provides too as well in regards to that there josh yeah well it's gonna be interesting uh with the fords right we had some confiscation of wheels from uh both rfk racing and team penske and interestingly enough we didn't see any confiscation from wood brothers even though they're really just the fourth penske car right uh we didn't see any any news about that but i wonder what kind of advantage uh they may have gained right we didn't really uh they didn't really release any details of what was wrong with the wheels just they took the wheels and they're going to inspect it and then they'll uh, probably give them a report later on next week or at some point but so far yeah the the fords have been really fast uh they've been able to draft well together and stick to the the plan basically the toyota chevys in practice and in the duels uh not quite as fast in the duels we saw the chevy uh teams try a different strategy they i think they they went for four tires and gas and then fords i think either went gas only and then two tires or two tires and uh for the uh for the chevys that that caused a lot of the breakups in the packs uh, and everything. And you talked about the uh, 500 being basically like it might turn out to be a strung out race, uh, which may be actually a good thing, um, allow allow you to actually um, move and make maneuvers and stuff and pass rather than just being stuck in a pack. Um, I mean, pack racing really is only exciting when you, you see a driver, you know, go from the back all the way to the front and make moves, you know, like Dale Earnhardt in 2000 at Talladega for his final career victory before passing away. Uh, things like, you know, other, other, uh, events where we've seen drivers going throughout, uh, you know, the field and going back from back to front 
and fighting their way through it. That's the exciting part. But, you know, otherwise, like you're kind of just stuck in a pack and you're, you know, having to kind of uh, maintain your position in line. Uh, you don't want to um, jam into the back of another car or get bumped out of position uh, from an, a car behind you. But th this, uh, this setup that we're going to see, and we may see a lot of strung out racing uh, here, which, I mean, like I said, might be a good thing. And we can actually see drivers fight for position. I mean, I, I go back to my experience watching the 2014 uh, what Sprint Showdown or Sprint Unlimited, whatever it was called, is you know the shootout clash event from 2014. And the pack uh, got thinned out by one big accident at the beginning of the race. And then afterwards, it's basically like a 10-car a field. And then you saw drivers actually being able to make moves um, instead of just kind of having to stick in line um, and the only people that make moves or, or change positions are like the, the front position cars in a pack, right? But this uh, here that we saw like on, on Thursday night, you saw Brad Keselowski make a move um, with four laps to go. Of course, we thought it was going to be too early, but turned out not to be. And then you saw the other guys fight for second, basically. They had a three-wide finish to determine who finished second in the first duel. And then second duel, we saw... Joey Logano uh, tried to block and then found out what would happen if you try to block, right? And then he got crashed, and then Chris Buescher takes the victory there. So it, it's going to be interesting. I think maybe for the most part we're going to see the Fords up front strung out racing, but then I would, you know, in true fashion of how NASCAR has been the last couple of years, last, you know, six, seven, eight years of uh, Daytona racing, we see cautions come out in the last, you know, 10, 20 laps of the race. And then I expect, uh, you know, to see at least double ride racing. Uh, we haven't seen any three wide yet, anything like that. So going to be curious to see like cars racing three wide. How does it affect the stability of, uh, in the pack? Um, you lose downforce or, you know, um, aerodynamics or anything like that cause your car to, um, you know, lose traction, lose grip. So, We'll see what happens, um, especially once it comes down to 10 laps ago, um, how they race and how aggressive they get. Um, and then maybe we'll see them yard sale the field uh, at that point. But, I mean, for the most part, it's probably going to be a very processional, uh, strung out race. Which has happened before. And I think the byproduct of what we talked about in the previous episode with part shortages and things like that, um, you know, Toyota, only six cars. Uh, they're going to want to be more strategic with what they do. It worked out for them in October uh, with Bubba winning. Um, it has worked out for them the last few years with Denny. Um, you know, Kurt Busch wants that second Daytona 500 win. You know that Kyle wants it to basically, you know, get that icing on the cake per se, that the cherry on top or whatever, uh, whatever um, cliche you want to come up with. That's literally the only thing he's missing. Uh, so those are things we have to look at, of course, um, in regards to strategic, uh, team battling, um, trying to go and make things happen there. Um, I think Chevrolet has between the Hendrick powered cars and of course the RCR group, which includes those two open cars. Um, there's going to be a lot of cars capable in the draft. Um, not so sure about some of them being capable by themselves or vice versa. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, let's go over the trucks kind of briefly before we get into um, everything else here. I, I know you have your, we the football game, I mean, at this point, it, we could talk about it, but. You know, we can talk about it for like five minutes. Five minutes at this point. So, I mean, and then, so you'll have more time to talk about your deal 
um, driving in the iRacing Daytona 500 for sure. But I mean, Zane Smith going out there, making a move to the uh, front row DGR outfit uh, wins, um, wins the race after a massive crash at the late there um, to go and the, the yard sailed. He was about to cross the finish, the star finish to win the race in regulation, but the yellow flag came out before somehow. Um, he ends up beating defending series champion, defending race winner Ben Rhodes for that victory. So the 38 team starts with a victory. Um, they were solid all night, but I don't think they were the best vehicle by any stretch of the imagination. But in the end, you lead twice for three laps and you lead when it counts. Um, they count the points and they count, they give the award at the end. And that's what they did. Uh, Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes, Christian Eckes, who made a couple of errors in his um, strat- strategy. Okay, get it out. Um, Tanner Gray and Parker Kligerman, the top five. Jesse Little, who had problems initially in the race and then um, came back, had some issues with handling. Finished sixth. Ty Majeskew started on pole, got used up by uh, John Hunter Nemechek at the end of the first segment to lose that. Um, Finished seventh. Danny Bone in the 20 truck for Youngs. Finished eighth. Carson Hosovar, who made the playoff last year. And then um, D. Benedetto finished 10th. You look at some of these other, John Hunter Nemechek won both stages, led the most laps. Ty Majeski led the second most laps, so 71 of the 100, but ended up being 106 laps in the race. Um, you had Eckes led nine laps, Blaine Perkins led nine laps, and then a few other people there. Uh, looks like, yeah, Krause actually led a lap there. Ben Rhodes led six, so... Um, Toyota's really dominated the show. Uh, they have the most of the field, I think, uh, the vast majority of the field, them and Chevrolet. Uh, but in the end, the the Ford, one of the only Fords in the field, ends up getting a W here uh, at Daytona. And uh, Zane Smith, who is looking to move towards the next steps in his future, um, gives himself uh, a lot of um, momentum as they go towards Vegas in a couple weeks' time for the second race of the year. I mean, John Hunter Nemechek ends up being involved in that big accident. A bunch of these trucks that were running by the end of the race there were also part of it um, from basically, what is it, 19th or 20th on back were all involved in that, in that the vast majority of them were involved in that big accident at the end of the race. Uh, Corey Heim was in a separate wreck, and before that, Jack Wood and had an issue by himself. Some of these other teams had some other problems. Um, incidents that kind of took them out of the running there. And it was a tough field to make. I mean, 36 trucks, I think they had 43 um, to to make this race or whatever. And it, it was a tough field to make uh, for sure, trying to go over here and just go into just back in the starting lineup who Clay Greenfield, Jordan Anderson, who almost won this race a couple of years ago, Jennifer O, Chase Purdy, who's trying to run full season for points as a teammate uh, with, a, what do you call, Tyler Ankrum for Hattori, Matt Jaskell who's part of a, a team that's going to have some questionable people, um, and then Jason Kitzmiller failed to qualify there. So, um, yeah, Zane Smith going out there winning, John Hunter doing what he did most of last year, which is winning stages and winning, giving himself points. In the end, right now, as it stands, he's only 
Uh, he's fifth in points. He finished 24th uh, yesterday in the race, but he's fifth in points going to Vegas, which he dominated last year. The one the one race, I think for sure, maybe both of them. Who knows? He won so many damn races. Um, or yeah, he's like fifth or sixth. Sorry, he's like sixth in points because Ty Majeski um, had the stage points there. So even with um, the incident uh, he had and getting knocked out and possibly losing a chance to win the race there, his point situation isn't that bad, and he gets to go to the one-and-a-half-mile racetracks where Kyle Busch Motorsports dominates. Um, but Zane Smith and that 38 team gets a lot of momentum to go and prepare themselves and get themselves working towards a possible uh, championship bid um, after last year where they may have felt like they were a little um, aggrieved by um, uh, what happened there at the end of the first round of the playoffs. Um, as there's a National Weather Service warning going off for a snow squall by me um, as I'm doing this show. So um, that's going to be coming here in an hour. Um, so there's that. So um, what were your thoughts, Josh, on the trucks last night? I mean, in the end, it was mostly a Kyle Busch Motorsports and Toyota benefit. But in the end, um, it ended up being uh, uh, Ford and front row DGR and, and Thorsport up there. Yeah, I mean, it was just typical Daytona for the most part. I mean, the first two stages of the race, we saw no real incident. There was, I think, uh, the beginning of the race, the uh, 30 car, our algorithm pick, um, Tate Fogelman, uh, got loose off the of turn four. That was the only real highlight, I think, of maybe the first 50 laps or so of this race, and that happened at the end of stage one. Um, and then you know, later on had more accidents. And of course the big accident coming to the white flag, uh, big crash, 19 car accident, um, caution comes out like literally right before they cross the finish line to start the last lap. Uh, so it's interesting the timing of that, how that works and how willing they are to throw out the caution and re you know, extend the race, uh, out, uh, to 104 laps ultimately, uh, in overtime, overdrive, whatever you want to call it. And then Zane Smith's able to pull out the win, survives, uh, overtime and more accidents coming off of the last lap. Got a push from Parker Kligerman, of course, the NBC broadcaster still racing in the truck series, uh, getting a top five. So good for him and, uh, small team that they run or that he's on, uh, it's always good positive momentum when small teams like that can uh, finish uh, well at a place like Daytona. That's also the other part that people watch Daytona for is when the small teams have a chance to finish up front for once, of course. But, I mean, yeah, for the most part, typical Daytona. I mean, we saw Kyle Busch uh, in the stands or on pit road uh, before the race wearing a T-shirt that pretty much summed up the whole event, the most expensive day of the year uh, with all of his cars getting crashed in an accident or taking crash damage and i think maybe only like five cars out of the entire field of 36 ended up with no crash damage at all so it tells you you know how the racing is and everything um with uh, the truck series um but you know now we have zane smith uh, of course i mean he's already established himself as a credible driver i think in the truck series securing a spot into the uh, playoffs um so now you don't have to worry about making the playoffs now of course you just go for wins um go for stage points and try to pick up as much as you can uh, so we'll see on the rest of the schedule mile and a half how fast uh the fords are uh compared to john hernemichek of course uh took a lot of uh laps that he led but ultimately um, still didn't win. And like you said, 
uh, still in good position points wise being in sixth place, even though he finished 24th in the actual race. Uh, so for, for that, we'll see John Hunter probably dominate on the mile and a half. And then, you know, for the rest of the, these uh, teams, uh, where are they going to line, line up? Cause of course, you know, Daytona is not really an indicator of, uh, how well, uh, teams are during a season. And we'll probably see the balance, you know, you'll see the grand end fingers of the world be up there. He had some issues yesterday. You know, Thor Sport will be there, Cobblish Motorsports. The regular contenders uh, will be up there as we look at the rest of the season. And that we'll get into in a couple weeks' time for the next truck race uh, at uh, Las Vegas. Uh, I just thought about this. We have to bring out, you, you mentioned the algorithm, and the Xfinity race hasn't taken place yet. And the Daytona 500 has not taken place yet. So we need to make our yeah, choices. We need, to- we need to make our picks. We need to go and make our, um, I guess, wild card dark horse selections. And then I don't know if the dark horse fits in the algorithm, but I guess we could go that way. I don't have an algorithm. I'll just pull one out of my ass. But um, but um, but um, Josh, you have two different options on that. But uh, let's do that. Let's do that first for the um, Xfinity race, a 300 miler at Daytona. I'm not going to mention a sponsor cause it's way too long and they're not beef. sponsoring. Yeah, it's beef. And the fact is that they should sponsor us because I eat plenty of it. Um, uh, let's see here. Xfinity series, um, beef it's nuts for dinner, 300. I did it anyway. Um, All because right. I was reading, um, I was trying to go through. So they said who failed to qualify the race david star alex lebay stefan parsons who's trying to run full time uh gray galding who's running for um uh, mike Harmon, so that's not a loss a uh, 91 mason massey natalie decker so that's probably good for the race um ronnie bassett jr harrison rhodes and then um, tim vines which is a benefit to society um let's see here daniel hemrick the defending series champion and his first race for colleague will start on the pole next to rookie Austin Hill in the um, RCR 21. His teammate Sheldon Creed will start fourth in the Whelan Chevrolet number two. Jade Buford um, in the 48 uh, will start third. Brett Moffitt, Landing Castles. So now two college cars in the top six. Josh Berry, Ryan Vargas. Wow, that's a huge qualifying run there for JD Motorsports. Brockshot Jones and Riley Herbst round out the top 10. AJ Allmendinger, Drew Dollar. Uh, Brandon Brown, Noah Gregson, Ty Gibbs, who, unlike Josh Berry, are probably the two favorites for this championship, Anthony Alfredo, Allgaier, Matt Mills, Ryan Sieg, and Jeffrey Earnhardt. Uh, The 66 of J.J. Yaley uh, starts 21st next to Cesar Baccarella, Kyle Weatherman, Josh Williams, Bailey Curry, C.J. McLaughlin, who will be a caution at some point today, Um, Jeb Burton, Joey Gase in his own car, uh, starts 28th, Joe Graff Jr., uh, Jesse Wuji running the car with himself and Emmett Smith, Josh Balicki in the 36 for Mario Gosselin, Tommy Joe Martins, and Myatt Snyder was the last car on uh, time driving for Jordan Anderson. Points had to be used by Sam Mayer, who's driving the one car this year, Jeremy Clements, Kyle Sieg in the second car out of RSS, Shane Lee, the teammate to Joey Gase, and Ryan Truex rounds out your 38-car field, 26 Chevrolets, and then 12 cars split between the Toyotas and the Ford. So let's start with that. I'll um, I'll go out, and I'm going to go 
It's like I should just hedge and I should say a colleague car. Um, but um, I'm going to go and pick Daniel Hemrick. He's already up there. And um, there'll be two wins in a row if he does do that and start his uh, title defense with a victory. Um, in regards to a dark horse candidate for me, I look at this field and you know I don't care for Brett Moffitt and I never will. So I'm not going to. And I don't think Ryan Vargas is going to get the help that he would need, even though he has a fast race car. I think that would be a huge story if that could come off for JD Motorsports. But I'm going to go and pick. Um, uh, I'm going to pick, pick your boy, Fast Pasta, Anthony Alfredo. He's he's starting 16th. Uh, the Hour Motorsports team has increased to a three car effort this year, with uh, Jeb Burton, Alfredo, and uh, uh, Moffitt. And Moffitt almost won this race last year and was competitive at the super speedways throughout the year. Uh, there goes Andy Jack, Andy J um, for a caution. And uh, so, yeah, let's um, get your picks there, uh, Josh, for this uh, afternoon or this evening's Xfinity uh, contest. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to pick Justin Algar. He's been pretty successful Daytona in the past. And, um, I think at the, at the end of the day, he always manages to find his way around Daytona and be up front uh, in this race or uh, in restrictor play races in general. Um, I think for dark horse pick, uh, you know, I'm going to go with uh, Jade Buford, number 48, qualified up front in third. He's got a fast car there. Um, and he could end up being, you know, if you start up front, you know, you can have a good chance of being uh, at the front at the end, I think, as long as uh, you stay up with the front lead pack and don't have any issues with uh, uh, pit road or anything like that. And then, of course, the almighty algorithm, it says that Myatt Snyder in the 31 will win the race. So, um, I mean, there's, it's not totally out of, out of the, you know. Um, not at all. Loop. Yeah, so we'll it's see what RCR happens. It's an RCR car. Yeah, it is an and, RCR. And they well, have two full full cars now, so yeah. they, if they do the whole team, oh, so there was two crashes going on there. Yeah, All during right. the Parker event, but yeah, yeah, the, the RCR team now you have two rookies in in um, in Creed and and Austin Hill, but they have plenty of experience in trucks at Super Speedways. Uh, Hill has won Daytona before, um, and they have fast race cars. So in the end, even if they are rookies, there are a lot of good rookies that are going to have a chance. And I think that's where um, Myatt Snyder could use that Jordan Anderson team and possibly go from the back and get to the front for the algorithm. So we have, I think, what is it, the 11? We're, we we got the 11, the, the, seven. the 23, the 7, the 48. 48, and the 31. So 5 out of 38. If we miss on that, well, so be it. Um, speaking of that, if we're going to miss on this, is the Daytona 500. Um, practice says... Uh, Ford, the the duels had um, a lot of Ford centric action there, and especially in the first one uh, with with Brad Keselowski and three young guns from from the Ford camp, uh, all racing for that victory. Well, it was basically Brad decided he was going to race for the victory, and the rest of them decided to battle with each other because no, nobody wanted to help Chase Briscoe, which I'll never figure out. But that's beside the point. Um, 
I guess I'll let you go first or, or should we leave the, I think we should leave the drama. You know what? I'll leave the drama of the algorithm and everything to you there at the end. So, oh, so Dave Mater who's like 98 years old, just drove through Gustine in the middle of a three wide pack. Okay. Well, that's not surprising. Gustine who had one of the fastest cars um, early in this race has now got damage. And then a couple other good cars there. And then I think Kitz Miller and some other um, furniture mover in the back wrecking before that. So that is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. And of course, you know, uh, for context, of course, this is the ARCA race and everything. And uh, I mean, a lot of aggressive bump drafting that we just saw right there in that crash. And it's not really a good idea to bump draft into the corners, especially pushing that hard. And, you know, you can't uh, do that because, of course, the front car uh, will get loose and uh, or run into an- the back of another car or anything like that. It's got to be very, very well-timed. I mean, it can be done, but it's got to be um, very well-timed push. And you can't um, really push too hard or else, you know, the car in front is going to spin out and everything. But that's what happened there. Of course, Sarka, so can't really expect too much out of it. But, you know, it is what it is. But for me, um, I'll go first here on the pick for yeah. the Daytona 500. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna roll with Ford. I'm going to go with young Ryan Blaney winning the Daytona 500. I um, think the Fords are fast, like we've seen. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, go back to Thursday, he was up front. Uh, until Brad Keselowski passed him for the dual number one win. Uh, and he's very, very good at restricted play or super speedway races with uh, what his wins uh, at Talladega that we've seen in the past and up front at the uh, Daytona 500 two years ago uh, that I witnessed, of course, the infamous incident with Ryan Newman and all that. And I think you know, for me as a, a dark horse, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, number 44 or I mean, should have been 69 because it's Greg Biffle. But yeah. Yeah, I I like uh what he could bring to the table uh for this uh you know NY racing team. They've been around in the past. Uh you know, they used to be known as Team Extreme. You know, they've had some races in the past where uh they tried to make an attempt at running a full season or running some races but never could get anything fully put together. Maybe this year, hey, with the Daytona 500 win or certainly a, a good run in the Daytona 500 uh should allow them to get more exposure and maybe have more sustainability there. And then for the algorithm, the algorithm bum 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 uh it picked Eric Jones, the number 43. So oh boy. Uh, that's a pretty credible, I feel like, you know, they're yeah. uh, 43, of course, uh, seven time wins with Richard Petty, um, but not a, lot, a whole lot of success. Bubba Wallace did have the second place second finish place. Uh, in 2018 Daytona 500. Um, Eric Jones, you know, he's still pretty good. Uh, I feel like as cup driver, kind of underrated and everything. And of course they uh, merged with GMS racing to form Petty GMS. So it's a pretty good pick there if you know the Chevys can figure out something to be up front and if something crazy happens they got out strung you know all strung out and they have uh, uh you know the luck on their hand I guess and they're able to time things right and be up front at the end could happen so uh a pretty believable pick I feel like for the algorithm yeah I mean and he had a good he had a relatively fast race car single car and he had a good car in in the duels and eric jones has won at daytona before so it's not out of the realm of possibility um rcr equipment uh, there so your picks you did yrb your al i mean the the biffle pick is going to be a good one um that's a wild one um that one uh, if it hits if you put money on that crap would be huge um that's for that's that's why it is a wild card um and then the algorithm eric jones uh for me 
who am I going to pick? Uh, you could call me a homer. You could call me biased. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to go and pick Brad. Um, I'm, I'm going to go and pick Brad Keselowski. This whole manifesting things. We try to manifest San Francisco going and winning the Super Bowl. Um, they fell short on that. Uh, but I'm trying to manifest this with my picks. Um, uh, Brad Keselowski had a terrible uh, clash. Um, his car was absolute dog shit. So I can only imagine what they're going to do on short tracks. But this car... They had a relatively fast race car, nothing out of the realm crazy, you know, in qualifying, but his car raced well. And there's very few people who have more experience in this field at super speedway racing and having to make the passes necessary to win than Brad Keselowski. You mentioned, of course, Blaney's incident with Ryan Newman a couple of years ago. That was a six car. The RFK team and their previous guises have made uh, running at Daytona a big part of their deal here in the recent years uh, with O. Richard and others when they've fallen off in other aspects of the sport, you know, being as competitive in one and a half mile racetrack, short tracks, et cetera. Um, Brad Keselowski, will Kenny go and prove that making the move from being a Penske driver all these years and being the winningest Penske driver in, in NASCAR, getting Roger Penske his first championships in NASCAR in both uh, in Cup and in Xfinity, um, and a couple other big wins too along the way. He'll go and go out there and win the um, Daytona 500. My um, dark horse pick is Chase Briscoe because he's been fast too all week. He's always been up there in practice. He starts in the top 10. It's a track position race. Um, his teammates are fast. The 10 car is a fast race car. Um, the four car is a relatively good race car, uh, but I honestly think the 14 and the 10 are the two best cars that SHR has. One of those two cars is going to have something to do with this finish, I believe. And I and Briscoe is more of more conservative, more calculated. Um, he's still learning his way around these super speedways. It's not his best um, discipline by any stretch of the imagination, but he is someone with a great race car and the 14 has not been in this spot in a long time, basically since 2011 and the final restart for the Daytona 500 was last time. I think the 14 car was actually a real factor to win this race. Um, Briscoe has not won a cup, won a cup race. This is a race where people have won their first race. Um, it would be huge for me. I'd probably, I took the day off, um, for Monday because one, we should have had it off, but we had lost a day because of stuff going on at school. And two, because I want to see something like what I'm hoping to see happen, happen. Um, I think the other pick I'll go and do a third one. I do feel like Toyota is going to have play a role in this race. Um, and they only have six cars and I, I, I just, I just, there's something about it. I don't know what it is. I just have this thing about Kyle Busch. I feel like, you know, he's never won this race before, but he's going to do what he has to do to get there. Um, it's a final year with M&Ms, uh, before they leave the sport. You don't know what they're, what's going to happen in regards to his sponsorship and where he's going to be. But Kyle Busch, of course, wants to win this race. He's, uh, one of the greatest ever it would be the that would be the thing that would go and set it off for him. The last thing he needs to go and and um, kind of check off all the boxes in his career is to go and win the Daytona 500. So he'll he'll have a chance because Hamlin, them, Martin Truex might go a little more conservative this time, but I think when push comes to shove, they'll be up there. So my hedge is six fourteen eighteen. So that's pretty low odds, uh, but those are solid picks. Um, the forty. 
the what is it you had 12 i had 12 43 12, 43 and 44 we'll have a little more higher odds oh there's debris okay yeah oh boy that's a caution um and so there is that so we'll get into the the super bowl game uh, Bengals and rams the rams came through with the w there in the end with a big drive um basically was matthew stafford to cooper cup Cooper Cup proving why he got MVP votes this year, why he was a triple crown winner at the wide receiver position, why he's one of the best players in the league. Um, but it also uh, saved the LA Rams there because Cincinnati at the end of the game there, the last few drives didn't really do anything. Uh, the defense was starting to really get to Joe Burrow. He got his knee was sprained there. So that also probably didn't help his cause. Um, there is a whole bunch of stuff there that probably went against the Cincinnati Bengals, the officiating there late in the game after basically not bothering to take the flags out all day. Um, in the last like five minutes of the game, they decided to start a fish micro officiating was a bit questionable. Uh, Joe Burrow had a good game, not as good of a game as he probably needed to. The LA Rams were able to kind of limit not only the the likes of Jamar Chase, even though he had a couple of catches there, but some of the other, the wide receiver core, but also the running game, which in turn took away that play action pass, which Joe Burrow needed to go into his rollouts and do what he needed to do. Um, Josh, what were your thoughts on the game uh, last week? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, uh, this game... Uh, at, at first, uh, it was pretty defensive. I think in the first half, you know, started out the uh, first touchdown of the game, you know, with Odell Beckham Jr. getting a 17-yard pass from Matthew Stafford. That was a pretty good uh, play design there, well, uh, well placed or you know, well placed meant by uh, Matthew Stafford. Odell Beckham went up and uh, got the ball uh, as soon as that play happened. I knew it was going to Odell, of course. And then um, after that, I mean, they did get another touchdown from. Uh, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, missed the extra point. But then after that, Cincinnati started taking over the game. They had already had a field goal, and they got a touchdown from uh, uh, T. Higgins to uh, um, from Joe Burrow. And that, that was pretty interesting, good playoff drive, a uh, good, you know, good drive for Cincinnati. Uh, they were looking like it was going to be uh, dominated by L.A., but then Cincinnati started to pull back into the game. Uh, they got a late interception at the end of the first half. Uh, but then they failed to turn it into points because the penalty after uh, after the excessive celebration, um, Vernon Hargraves uh, going out and making all UF people look stupid by uh, excessively celebrating, even though he's not dressed as a player for that game. Um, then third quarter happens. Jalen Ramsey gets burned. I mean, he got burned a couple times in this game. Um, he got burned um, in the first half, 52-yard pass to uh, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins' uh, second half. Right about opening the quarter, uh, Joe Burrow throws him a 75-yard pass. And, of course, pass interference was thrown on that, or it should have been called, but it wasn't. And that was a big theme in the game is the lack of uh, penalties that were called in this game. Um, and then they, they didn't call any penalties until the very end, until they hit two minutes when Cincinnati, or not Cincinnati, but L.A. was driving down the field. And, of course, there was a controversial holding call uh, at the end of the game uh, against Cooper Cup. Um, then that led that led to um, the touchdown for uh, the LA Rams to get the game-winning score. Odell Beckham tore his ACL during the game. Of course, it was on his other leg, uh, not the one that he tore a few years ago back in 2017. Um, 
Uh, Joe Burrow, of course, sprained his knee. I thought he actually tore his ACL or, you know, blew out his knee again. But, well, not blow out, but, you know, at least sprained or tore his ACL. And it was just, a, um, ended up being a sprained M MCL, I think. And, uh, I mean, you can tell he was hurt because um, after he, you know, he limped off the field and everything, the next drive, they changed their game plan. Uh, they went to running offense mostly, and they were getting good yards and good chunks. But then uh, they, they got into a third down, and, uh, I mean, you could tell – uh, his uh, throwing ability was uh, not as great as it should have been. Uh, had a lot of rainbow balls, not a whole lot of velocity on, on the ball. Um, and then they couldn't get a third down converted, and then they had to punt. Although I would have liked to have seen a long field goal try from 40 yards or on the 40-yard line. So that would have been like a 58 or 59-yard field goal. Um, maybe Evan McPherson doesn't have enough leg on the ball to be able to um, – you know, score from, from that long, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but I think overall the Cincinnati Bengals, they had a chance, uh, they had some chances to, you know, change the game in the second half after that 75 yard pass, but they couldn't capitalize. And then that kind of allowed LA Rams back into the game, even though their running game got shut down, which what the LA Rams passing game is based off of, they run to set up the pass and then, uh, they got the winning, uh, score from Cooper cup, uh, in the end zone on a fade uh, route uh, from Stafford. And then the last part of the game uh, with the Bengals, um, Joe Burrow's you know, trying really hard, uh, had a had a chance there uh, to maybe get something, but then defensive line from the LA Rams was just uh, too much for uh, their offensive line and then got uh, tackled as he was trying to throw the ball on fourth down. And then that was that. And, you know, it was a little, little bit anticlimactic, I feel like, because the last couple of years, I feel like the Super Bowl has come down to, like, the final play of the game or close to the final play of the game. It just kind of felt short. Uh, you know, even though it, was, it ended up being the final play of the game, it was within the last minute, you know, just felt a little bit short uh, there. I felt like the Cincinnati Bengals probably could have uh, had a little bit more in the tank to at least drive to, you know, within the 20-yard line uh, and at least have, like, a dramatic ending, like, uh, batted pass as he throws it uh, to the end zone on the last uh, second of the game or something like that, but you know, just ends up falling in incomplete after getting uh, almost tackled by Aaron Donald there. So, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, now football season finally over, finally, um, and we uh, have off season now, so to have to think about football really until the draft, uh, but really don't really have to think about football until uh, the end of August, September, uh, once uh, things get going again. So, uh, be a long off season for everybody, including our teams, and uh, you know, be a lot of rest that we have to have uh, from football. Yeah, and a lot of decisions to be made in regards to what our teams have to do to get to that spot uh, next year, and which will be in Glendale uh, at the at the Pink Taco Stadium, State Farm Stadium, uh, to see how um, either Niners Jacksonville can go and get to that spot. Uh, we'll need some help for sure. Um, decisions are being made. The new league year is less than a month away. Um, some changes to the rosters will come before that. There will be a lot of contracts that come up. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is one example of that. And we'll get into that, you know, of course, during the shows as we move through the rest of the, uh, as we get through this season while we're talking about our motorsports. Josh, let's throw to you. For the iRacing Daytona 500, what's all involved with that? And what are you going to be doing? How are you going to be uh, competing in this race coming up? 
Yeah, so, you know, as always, the iRacing Daytona 500, I mean, it's the, one of the special events that iRacing does every year. It's the full distance race, 200 laps. Um, I've been practicing throughout the week, just doing some of the uh, official races that they have uh, for the NASCAR Class A series, which is the new next-gen car on iRacing uh, with the cup cars. Um, I've been kind of switching between fixed setup and the open setup. Uh, cars just trying to get seat time and get a feel for the draft um, and how well you know you can push uh, down the straightaways uh, you know behind another car and um, just been trying to figure out you know things and get used to it um, tomorrow I'm going to be running in uh, the Daytona 500 event uh, be probably streaming at around 10 a.m so whenever you wake up just wake up and put on the stream I guess and uh, see me try to run in this race um, my biggest issue is going to be trying to avoid the wrecks uh, which uh, had some issues with this week um, uh, a lot of these cars a lot of these guys like bump too hard and then like one car goes into the wall and then everybody behind you know jams the brakes and tries to avoid it and then I'd maybe darted to the left a little bit too much because i was in the outside lane and then run into a tag another car on you know bumping into their right side and then uh taking damage and then getting crashed out uh that happened to me last night i was running a, a practice event um and so it's just gonna be about figuring out how to avoid the wrecks um and everything so i think probably like i said before i think probably the first 50 laps or so gonna try to just hang around back or something like that and just try to um get settled in because a lot of people they're gonna you know be on their nerves probably for the first quarter of the race and i would like to be able to at least survive and not take damage uh, like i did last year and then hopefully be there at the end I mean, it's very similar to the real life races i feel like because um it's very easy to lose the draft in these cars just like in real life uh, i think they uh modeled that pretty well um, if you get behind by any bit, you know, you lose the draft, you basically run at 180 miles an hour and then, uh, versus 195, uh, in the, uh, pack. And then, you know, you'll get lapped within probably like 10 laps or so, uh, once you do that. Um, and then also, uh, pit strategy, probably going to try to stay with two tires, uh, on the left, on the right sides and, uh, fuel only uh, in some spots uh, where I can, um, and then hopefully not lose the draft off of pit stops like we've seen in real life, and just stick around until the end, and then try to make a move. I think I got a good setup right now. Um, found a setup online that I've been trying to use, uh, and think I'm able to use that one. Works out pretty well. Uh, using the high line really is, seems like that's where the speed is. Interestingly enough, um, the low line. Uh, seems like there's a lot of slowdown um, and people can't get quite uh, situated, like being able to maintain uh, pace down there, whereas the high line, you can still uh, push pretty hard and not um, fall behind or anything. And uh, for me, I, I do pretty well pushing the car rather than being the one getting the, the push. Because um, to me, I'd like to use that opportunity. If you stay behind the person and push when you come to the last lap, then uh, you know you're able to set up a position to be able to pass uh hopefully you know, on the back stretch or off of turn four um and hopefully not get crashed uh, if you're able to make a pass uh for the win so it's, it should be exciting and you know hopefully come out with the win um feel good about my chances but you know you just got to be able to stick to the plan and uh, execute everything that i you know have as far as strategy goes yeah, and definitely go and tune in and see what josh is doing um i'll be uh, I'll hope to catch a little bit of it here. 
Um, going to have a busy morning for sure leading up to the Daytona 500 um, because there's plenty of time before the actual race starts. So I have stuff to do in the morning, especially with the crazy weather we're having today. Hopefully it won't be as crazy tomorrow here. Um, with that, we'll close this episode of the Grip Strip podcast. Um, uh, Josh, where can we find your streams? Where can we find you on social media um, and in general? Yeah, of course. As always, watch the iRacing streams, uh, iRacing Daytona 500, and anything else on Twitch TV slash UCLR2. Um, that's where all my stuff will be on for streaming. Um, you know, it's on there. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to watch straight at 10 a.m. Of course, you know, if you're busy and everything. But make sure just to check in and at least um, see how the progress is doing. Um, and then, of course, um, on Twitter, where I, I'm at, as always, you can follow me there at uh, JP Helfine and see what I'm interested in, what you know uh, I have to say about these races that have been happening the, uh, the last couple of days. And, of course, tomorrow, the Daytona 500 uh, should be fun. Uh, love uh, what other people have to say about the race and uh, being able to talk with other fans like you, like Phil Spain. Uh, we've had him before, like Joe Passero, um, you know, a lot of other you know, people that we, we know on NASCAR Twitter land um, that have good things to say and interesting things to say. So, of course, like, as always, um, you know, follow us on there and um, you know, we can always have the discussion about racing and other things uh, that we're all interested in. Yep. I mean, all good things. And, of course, Josh will um, be able to give you some more um, insight on some of the stuff with the car, a la, like, Bozy. Um, in regards to the arrow and some of the other technical aspects of it with, uh, myself, uh, you can find me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. Uh, you could find the grip strip podcast at grip strip pod, capital G, capital S, capital P, uh, 101 episodes now down and many more to come. Uh, you can find the Grip Strip podcast on Apple podcasts, Amazon music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora, um, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, so we're basically anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, we will be back for episode 102, which will be a Daytona 500 and Speed Week recap. Uh, we kind of recapped the truck race. We don't have to waste our time with that, so that's good. Um, we're not really going to talk about the Zarka race because it's pretty awful. And we'll talk about the Xfinity. We'll talk about the 500 itself. We'll preview the Indy car season since St. Petersburg will be next week. Get into some Formula One testing and other news and uh, and stuff that's going on uh, for next episode of the Grip Trip Podcast. So uh, with that, for Josh, this is Phil. Thank you once again for listening to Grip Strip Podcast. Hope you enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. Take care of one another. And uh, we'll see you around the corner there. Take care. Goodbye.